Last year, the Sunday after Easter, I started preaching through the Gospel of John. We're still there. Thankfully, we are coming to the passages about the death and resurrection of Jesus this week, just as planned. Many, many months ago with some power outages and sicknesses and some other stuff that happened, but we're going to make it. That next Sunday, on Easter Sunday, we're going to look at John chapter 20, at least the first half of chapter 20, and the resurrection stories on resurrection morning. And Friday night, at our Good Friday service, we're going to look at the second half of chapter 19. We're going to look at the parts of the gospel where Jesus is hanging on the cross and where he is buried in the tomb. And so that will be our Good Friday service this week. And that means this morning, we are looking at the last parts Before those things, Jesus's trial before Pontius Pilate, where he is officially sentenced to die on the cross. And so I would invite you to open your bulletins or open your Bibles to our sermon text today to John chapter 18 verses 28. And we're going to be going through chapter 19 verse 16. This passage, though it spans two chapters in John, holds together because there is a contest of sorts between the Jewish leaders who want Jesus to be killed and the Roman governor Pontius Pilate who holds the power to kill him. And so let us look at our text this morning beginning in John chapter 18 verse 28. Let us hear the word of God. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, 
I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered the, him over to them to be crucified. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for speaking truth to us in your word. We thank you that your word is trustworthy, that it is your inspired word to us, that by your Holy Spirit, you carried along the writers, the very human writers who wrote this long ago. And you, by your spirit as well, have preserved this truth. And we are thankful that we have it today. God, your word is living and active. And so we pray that as we hear this word today, the word that has been read, that you would work through it, that your spirit would work by this word and work in us. Use me in spite of my own sin and weakness to proclaim your word faithfully, to explain it clearly and to apply it for us. And I pray that you would give us all ears to hear, for you speak to us through your word. Open our hearts and minds to receive what you say is the truth 
In Jesus' name, amen. As we consider the passage today, Pilate's words, his question of verse 38, really hangs over everything. What is truth? It's a cynical question, and it's a recognition in our world, truth matters far less than the ability to get what you want. That right and wrong are just obstacles to hurdle or tools to use to get what you want. That truth is sidelined. And so the question I want us thinking about today is how do we stand for truth in a world that is driven by self-interest? And so we're going to see that both the Jewish leaders and Pilate, they acted out of self-interest. And they did so in different ways. That these leaders were incredibly self-interested, just like we are. We may not look at ourselves as self-interested people, and yet the Word exposes our own self-interest. And so we're going to look at this competition that's going on. Because in our text today, we see a competition between two parties. We see a game of politics and power that is being played before our eyes. It is a game of self-interest where truth is discarded. The Jewish leaders want Pilate to do something for them. But Pilate doesn't want to be used by them. We will see that Pilate eventually complies, but only when he sees that doing what they want is in his own self-interest. And so we're going to see both Pilate and the Jews here today, how they are acting in their own self-interest. First, I want us to look at the bullheaded Jewish leaders. That the leaders at that time, those leaders wanted one thing and one thing only. They want Jesus to be executed. They are driven by a burning desire to accomplish that one thing. That they have decided that it is in their best interest to have Jesus killed. That Jesus has been challenging their power and their influence and their status in the Jewish community. He is gathering too many followers. So whatever it costs them, their minds are set on having Jesus killed. But you have to remember that these are good people who like being seen as good people, who are holy and righteous. And so I want us to see how they try to present holiness and righteousness, even though they are up to wickedness. We see it in three places. First, look at how they are so pious by not entering Pilate's headquarters. Oh, we wouldn't want to defile ourselves by entering that Gentile's home so close to Passover. We are good, law-abiding Jews. And yet, when Pilate asks them a simple question, Hey, um, what evil has this guy done? Uh, well, you know, we wouldn't bring him here if he hadn't done bad things, obviously. It sounds kind of legitimate, but it's totally not. It's kind of their way of saying, just trust us. He's bad. But if he were truly bad, if Jesus had done something truly evil, you'd be able to say what it was. Like, this is the evil thing he has done. But they can't say that because he has not done anything evil. And so they want to appear righteous. 
but their hypocrisy is shining through. The second thing we see is in verse 31, the Jews protest that, whoa, we, we don't have the power. It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. See, generations earlier, when Rome conquered the Jewish people, they forbid the Jews from using capital punishment. That the power to sentence someone to death was reserved for the Roman overlords. And so the Jewish leaders here are like, well, no, hey, we are good citizens of Rome. We would never think of executing people. That would be wrong. We wouldn't do that. And yet, just verses later, they are shouting like an unruly mob, kill him! Yeah, we can't kill him, but we're going to do everything we can to force you to kill him. We will demand his execution, even if it means letting a truly violent criminal like Barabbas go. Their hypocrisy is shining through. The third thing we see is that they insist on Jesus being put to death because they have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. They make it sound like their concern is God's honor. Yes, Jesus may not have done evil against people, but he has offended our God. But by the end of the passage, the Jews are shouting out, we have no king but Caesar. They have forsaken the truth that God is their only king And they are willing to say that their king is this emperor, this pagan emperor who makes himself a god. The hypocrisy just bursts open at the end of the passage. You see, the Jewish leaders are so bullheaded in their pursuit of Jesus being executed, they cannot cover up their hypocrisy with fake righteousness. It was revealed as a sham that there was nothing real about their righteousness and that they were willing to pay any cost in order to get their way. They display this grotesque, sinful self-interest. But they weren't the only ones. Pilate was also showing his own form of self-interest. But Pilate's is different. Instead of being bullheaded and set on what he wants, Pilate is like all over the place in this passage. He's kind of doing this and then this and then this. But by the end, we realize what he's really caring about. Security. Himself. That's what matters to Pilate. So notice right away what Pilate does. At the beginning of the passage, he's projecting strength to the Jewish leaders when he asks them in verse 29, what evil has this guy done? And the Jewish leaders are upset that Pilate would dare ask that question. If you remember last week, the Jews, when they went to arrest Jesus, they brought Roman soldiers with them, showing there was some kind of deal. Like, you bring those troops with us, we're going to arrest him, and then you just rubber stamp the verdict of crucify. But Pilate is not going to let it go like that. He needs his moment to project power. To ask them, what is your charge? He likes to make them sweat, thinking he may give up on the deal. He projects that power. He likes that. It's in his interest to project power. And he does it again with Jesus. He comes across as scoffing to Jesus after Jesus answers. And he says to him, am I a Jew? 
You see that he looks down on the Jewish people that he has been called to rule, that they are beneath him, and he wants Jesus to know it. He is better, and he wants people to know that he is better. And then Jesus responds that he bears witness to the truth, and Pilate just snorts back, what is truth? What is truth? It is the cynical question of a powerful man who knows truth doesn't matter, power does. And so he projects this power that what is true is what you can do. But it's shaken midway through the passage when he hears that Jesus might be a son of God. Now, Pilate is not thinking in biblical terms that Jesus is the son of the one true God. Rather, as a pagan, he would have believed in lots of gods and demigods and that maybe this Jesus guy has something divine in him. And Pilate knows that as powerful as he is, there are things more powerful than him. The forces of the world. The things that they ascribed to the gods of sickness and weather, death. And so he wants to check to make sure, like, By killing Jesus, am I going to make any gods mad? He's got to cover his bases. And so the power that he projects starts cracking. But it finally falls apart at the end of the passage. Because Pilate may have been the governing authority who liked to project power, but that power was tenuous and the Jewish leaders knew it. They had one last move to make and they made that move. They're like, whoa, Sure would be a shame if Caesar found out that you, Mr. Pilate, were letting this king call himself a king and we told you about it and you let him live. Boy, that would be real bad if someone else wanted to be king other than Caesar. Sure hope he doesn't find out. And he knew it. I'm sure it just made his blood boil. I'm sure he was angry, but he knew it was checkmate. And in order to protect his own power, he's like, kill him. It's worth it to protect myself. And so in Pilate, we see a man who knew what was right. Three times he says, I find no guilt in this man. Pilate has the power to do what is right. He's the authority. Four different times in this passage, he could have just said, That's enough. Go home and figure it out. He doesn't. This man who knew what was right and had the power to do what was right did what was wrong out of his own self-interest. Pilate chose self-interest over truth, just as the Jewish leaders chose self-interest over true righteousness. Thankfully, that was then. And we know much better in our world today, right? Uh, I don't know. See, when I look at the world today, I still see instances of inconsistent and insecure leaders caving to the demands of bullheaded, self-righteous groups who will do anything to get their own way. In places of power, we see these same games every day. Truth is compromised. It is sidelined for the sake of self-interest. Whether that self-interest is cowardly self-preservation or the virtuous pursuit of wickedness. 
Our world is no different today. But thankfully, that's those people in power. That's not us. We're not like that, right? We would never do such things. That kind of shameful self-interest is unique to people in power and weird, zealous groups who seek different things. Ordinary folks like us don't do that. Well, I'm sorry to say that yes, we do. We suffer from the same sinful self-interest that our hearts are no different than Pilate. Our hearts are no different than the Jewish leaders, that those people are people just like us. But how does our sinful self-interest reveal itself? Well, perhaps the most common way we see our own self-interest is when we buy into our world's motto, follow your heart. It is the motto of at least the last 40 or 50 years. It is our culture's defining attitude. Other mottos have tried. They're creeping up the motto rankings to like knock it out. But it is still number one. Follow your heart. It's the air we breathe. It is the world we live in. I've included in your bulletin a quote from the movie Moana, one of the songs. Fun song, great song. Except for the message, of course. But Moana is encouraged by one of the women in her village in this song to mind what your father says. He does know a lot of important things. But if the voice inside you tells you something different, remember, the voice inside is who you are. In other words, you determine what matters. Your self-interest is ultimately what determines truth. We are told, follow your heart, because that is what is true. But when we do that, we can become like the Jewish leaders, and our heart can get fixed on something wrong. Because sin, as our New Testament reading shows, comes from the heart. We cannot trust our heart to guide us truly. See, our heart is like our compass. The problem is it doesn't always point north. And if we get fixed in our compass and we're following it, we may be desiring and following something wrong. And so just as the Jewish leaders were so bullheaded in their search, we cannot get so fixed on what our heart wants that we need this to happen. I must have this thing. And when we follow our heart like that, we will pay all kinds of horrible costs to get what our heart desires. But we're not always like that. Sometimes we can be like Pilate when our heart desires security. We may know what is true. We may know what is right to do in a certain situation, but we might not do what is right because of the cost of doing what is right. Our heart tells us, stay safe. Don't stand out. Don't risk it. Just go with it. This will pass. And when we follow our hearts like this, we forsake truth in the name of safety with the world. You see, this attitude of following our hearts is championed by the world, but that motto comes at the cost of truth. Because we cannot follow our heart and follow truth. Because they do not always line up. 
And eventually, our heart will be wrong. And following our heart will expose our bullheaded selfishness, our protective cowardice, or possibly even a kind of scornful cynicism that would ask, what is truth anyway? What is truth? To have a good answer to that question, to have a counter motto to follow your heart, we have to do something we haven't done yet, and that's talk about Jesus. You know, he's in here. The Gospel of John is about Jesus, after all. But we don't really, we haven't talked about him because Jesus is kind of like the rope in a game of tug of war in this passage. He's there, and you're watching him, but the focus is on the people pulling, that he is just this pawn in their game of power. And so they're not looking at Jesus. They're looking at how to win. I feel like maybe we should look at Jesus. So what do we see when we look at Jesus in this passage? Notice that Jesus is not focused on getting a fair trial. He is not insisting on his innocence and saying, how dare this injustice happen? Not doing that. Notice Jesus is not focused on saving his own life. Pilate gives that threat that I could let you go or I could crucify you. That's usually when we're like, um, just let me go, please. Just get me out of here. He's not focused on saving his own life. He's not trying to recant or deny anything he has said or done. In fact, Jesus says that he's only under Pilate's authority because he has chosen to be. In other words, Jesus is saying, I could stop all of this in a moment, but he doesn't. Why? Well, if Jesus was only focused on having a fair trial, that would help him. If Jesus was only focused on saving his life and preserving his life, that would help him. If making all of this injustice just stop with divine power like that, if he did that, that would help him and only him. But Jesus is not interested in only himself. He is submitting himself to all of these injustices because he is obeying his father's plan to save self-interested, sinful people like us. In other words, Jesus is more interested in serving his father and that truth than winning this political game that is being paid, played. He is more interested in doing what is best for his people than what we would see as best for himself. Jesus seems so very different from the Jewish leaders and from Pilate because he is not driven by self-interest. He doesn't act like the world because his kingdom is not of this world. Instead, Jesus is there bearing witness to the truth. He bears witness to the truth by revealing the truth. Simply by being there and not being awful, he is showing how terrible they are. You look at them and you're like, man, you guys are bad. He's revealing the self-interest and sin in all of the people around him simply by being true. And so he bears witness to the truth by revealing it. He also bears witness to the truth by redeeming his people. He chooses to suffer in this way because he is taking the real and right punishment that we deserve for our sin. That just as Barabbas, that Violent, wicked man was set free and Jesus took his place. So Jesus takes our place so that sinful people like us can be set free. 
He is there because He is redeeming us for what we deserve for our sinful hearts. He is bearing witness to the truth by revealing truth, by redeeming His people, but He's also renewing us because He knows the only way to change the sinful world is to change the sinful people in the world. And the only way to change sinful people in the world is changing their hearts. And so Christ, by His power, saves His people, fills us with the Holy Spirit so that we are made new on the inside and no longer have to focus on ourselves because Christ focused on us. We now can serve Him and serve others. That's what Jesus is doing. And yet I bet we look at this and we're like, man, He's really passive. Like really passive. Shouldn't he be like fighting for the truth? How do you stand for the truth and let falsehood win? I feel like those are really good questions. I would dare say those are relevant questions. See, we should want this world to uphold truth and justice, but we don't seek that goal in a way that says, Whatever it takes. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my guys would be taking up swords and fighting. Which means he tells us not to fight in that way. To not play the world's game of power. That we should expect a sinful world not to operate by God's truth. And what we are called to do is bear witness to truth. To seek to do justice where we can and where we are able and to keep standing even if we are suffering. Because suffering is not the defeat it appears to be. Jesus lost his trial, but that was not the end. He rose from the dead and truth won because God wins. God is the true king of the world and his kingdom does pose a threat to Caesar and all the kings of the world. And today he still lives and he is still saving people like us from our own self-interest and bringing us into his heavenly kingdom that we might stand for that truth of God. The good news that though we are sinners, Christ went and died for us. Let us stand for that truth and share it with a world that desperately needs to hear it. Let us pray. <clears throat> oh Lord, we thank you for today and for the truth that you give us. We thank you for Jesus showing us the way. We pray that you would help us to seek truth, to seek justice, but to not do it the way the world does. To not be surprised by the world when it works the way it does. But to hold fast to your truth. To stand firm. To stand with great confidence knowing that you, O oh God, are true and that you do win. We pray that Jesus would come back soon and establish his kingdom of truth and righteousness and uphold justice forever and ever. In his name we pray.